When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me David Brown, and David wrote an incredibly powerful piece about the music scene in Ukraine. As the headline says, Ukraine's flourishing music scene faces an existential threat. We're going to talk about that today. It's a really unique human angle on Russia's invasion of Ukraine that I don't think anyone else has done, and it really helps put a face on what's happening there. David, how did you come up with the idea of looking into this story? Been hearing for a few years about a Ukrainian music scene. You know, we'd hear kind of dribs and drabs, and maybe one of those bands might come over here, or we'd read about it somewhere. So I was just aware that there was something going on over there. I didn't, to be honest, know the the range and diversity and eclecticism of the scene as much, but I knew there was some kind of scene happening there, especially in punk and indie, and I just thought wow, what impact is that having on that community? It would seem like a a good angle to explore, especially at Rolling Stone. We always try to make the connections between kind of music and politics and culture, and it just seemed like a natural one to kind of explore. So I just started reaching out to whoever I could. I had no idea who would get back to me or what the conditions would be like, but luckily a whole bunch of people did respond to me right away and were were eager to talk about it, even if they were hiding out in their houses. Yeah, and there's some intense stuff in this article, and there'll be a little bit of intense stuff in this episode as we hear a little bit from these artists. The thing about popular music is it really is subject to the ripples of history and can sometimes illustrate what's happening in the larger history of the world. And I thought it was so fascinating that the music scene in Ukraine really got a huge boost around 2014. Maybe you can explain what happened there. Yeah, it's such an incredible example of the connection, I think, between the arts and sort of politics and geopolitical changes. You know, 2014 was the this, this so-called the revolution, the maiden revolution in, in Ukraine, where the Soviet-appointed head was kind of booted out, and they had a democracy for the first time. And there had been a, a pretty solid music scene in Ukraine before that. But what was the, the impact of that revolution and that strain between Russia and Ukraine had an incredible, incredibly positive effect on musicians in the Ukraine because there was a ban on a lot of big Russian singers in Ukraine who could no longer were no longer invited by promoters to sing in the country. Maybe they didn't want to. There was a ban list, and these are these weren't all just rock bands. Some of them could be you know opera singers or kind of mainstream pop singers. But the result of that was that all these artists uh, from Russia who would normally be performing and touring in Ukraine and headlining these venues weren't there. So you had all these venues that were available for new bands to play in and actually, and, and play in venues with, as some of them said to me, you know, like good sound systems and not like some basement somewhere, some actual little theaters and halls. And so 
in addition to an explosion of, of music that was starting there already, and a lot of techno and electronic music and hip-hop was starting up, you suddenly had, as a result of that revolution, all these venues you know, that could easily were looking for uh, musicians <laughs> to play in. And so it was just an amazing confluence, really unlike anything I can really think of, even here in the States, of all these factors coming together at the same time to really boost this fledgling music scene. It's an extremely imperfect analogy, but what it vaguely reminded me of is when Canada passed a law that a certain percentage of radio play had to go to Canadian acts. And that one law caused this huge surge in a Canadian popular music. And this sounds like that on a much sort of larger scale in a way. Absolutely, and a much more uh, volatile intensive scale to we think about it. To be very specific, the cultural ministry banned Russian artists who supported the annexation of Crimea exactly. from entering Ukraine. And it <laughs> even ended up including Fred Durst because he, he said nice things about Putin, I guess. That he was, was married to a woman from Crimea at the time. And so, yes, he said some nice things about Putin. <laughs> and as a result, he and therefore Limp Bizkit were banned from Ukraine for five years, which I'm not sure what a big loss that was to the Ukraine music scene, but it is an example of the way that, you know, yeah, I imagine if they played over there, could have, could have filled some decent-sized halls, and suddenly they weren't doing that, so other local bands could be booked instead. And it was more than that. It also was this sort of Ukrainian pride that started up because they were uh, determined to differentiate themselves from Russia and stepped away from Russia a journalist who runs an underground music site called Neformat, I guess, told you that after Maiden, people started actually praising our language, our folk traditions, music, and the country in general. People stopped feeling a part of Russian world, Russian culture, Russian bands. Our artists, our uniqueness started shining in all glory here and now. It's not like we didn't have great music before that, but now it is more visible. They were singing in Ukrainian, not in Russian. So it was music absolutely became this vessel to announce your pride in your country as well, and on so many levels. Just about every kind of music. What really impressed me was that, you know, I'd heard about sort of riot girl punk bands, and there were some metal bands, but, you know, you suddenly have all kinds of hip-hop acts, a lot of female hip-hop acts over there. Uh, a lot of indie bands kind of influenced by people like, you know, Nick Drake and Dylan and some sort of quasi-psychedelic kind of bands. Incredibly uh, eclectic range of music there. You could hear the impact of the West, but at the same time, by singing in their native language and adding their own musical accents, it was very much of, of its own country. You talked to a guy named Kyrillo Brenner, who's the lead guitarist of a power trio called Cat. I think, uh, you know, the, the paradox of all this thing that like Putin and Russian government, they hate us and they don't want us to exist. But at the same time, they created this country, basically. I mean, this nation, not country, but this uh, mindset of the nation. Because before 2014, uh, I think many people, including myself, for example, we were just, you know, like living our lives and uh, after all things happened we uh, your mindset changes a lot of and you start to feel in, to to 
we started finding our identity like like a group of people living in the same country and uh, we started to dig into our history into our roots uh, and uh, this impacted music as well it's not that you know everyone started to play folk music no but at the same time uh, some bands started to doing mm-hmm. that because uh, uh, it was very popular at the same at some period of time back in those days but anyway more like we felt that we are like we, we are nation we are one country can you sense any fighting near you at all at this point anything you're hearing or seeing in Kharkiv we heard a lot of noises and explosions yesterday uh, and city was attacked uh, by tanks basically and our troops uh, responded and defended the city what's up everyone it's reality steve your number one source for all things bachelor nation and reality tv every day i'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your bachelor nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars my name has been synonymous with spoilers but i'm so much more than that give me a listen the reality steve podcast part of the believe network just search b-l-e-a-v on youtube or where wherever you listen. What was interesting about that interview was I spoke with him just about two days after the invasion, and he was he had already fled his home in Kharkiv with his wife and left all of his musical instruments behind. Like, that was the last thing on his mind. And he, he and his family would just drive, had just left and were driving west somewhere to get away from the shelling that they were already starting to hear. And, you know, and, and, you know, his band has an album coming out this month. And that's, again, like the last thing on his mind now. He's like, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, you know, he, he's, I don't know what effect this is going to have on, on all of us as a country. And even if I don't know where my bandmates are, even if I find, even, you know, even if we all flee the country, which we would do because I, I, I don't want to be in a, a country with a pro-Russian government. I'm not sure I'd ever see them again. You know, he... We spoke by Zoom, and he was, you know, clearly in some some unfamiliar home, and 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 pretty pretty distraught about it all. And you know, it just you know kind of rammed it home for me in a very visceral way as to what those people, what those folks are going through. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing we were talking about: how much that scene had been thriving, and now it's like the rest of the country; it's under siege. Clubs are closed, and you know, you you tried to interview one act for show, and they couldn't speak to you because their manager said they were, quote, under attack, which really underscores this. this that isn't the kind of no you usually get from a manager when you're trying to talk no. to a musical group. Yeah, they were they were uh, looking forward to talking to me, and, and they just literally could not could not do it. Other people only talked to me or were able to do it by, by email because they were just kind of, you know, on the run here or there. They didn't have time to, you know, sit in front of a a computer with a Zoom call or something, just in my dealings with these musicians, which is obviously a, a, a small part of the population there, but it was such a window into into everyone's feelings about the situation. And, and no one was saying, you know, I'm, I'm sure Putin isn't happy about this, but no one was saying, oh, thank God the Russians are coming into the country and saving us from this horrible, <laughs> you know, government that we have. I mean, every single person, whether by Zoom or phone or email, was saying, no, we, we love our country. We, we you know, we, we don't want this to happen. We're angry. We're horrified. And we don't know what we're going to do. We don't even know if there'll be a music scene or an art scene 
if Russia takes over? What happens? That's still a question that no one can answer yet. Will, the, will this whole flourishing scene just be like wiped out? Yeah, you spoke to someone named Rostislav Kulik, who is an organizer for one of the biggest festivals in Ukraine. And right now he's using his skills to find housing and shelter for the 100,000 people who have poured into the, the big city where he lives near the border with Poland. Right, right. And he said, you know, something like, yeah, this is like the biggest festival I've ever organized. And he, he wasn't trying to be funny. You know, it was just like he suddenly is, he wasn't thinking about booking bands or, or that festival. He runs a ticket agency there. That's all out the window. And he was just desperately trying to use his skills as a, as a concert organizer to find shelter for, you know, 100,000 people. Like, and there are, of course, musicians who've taken up weapons. There's a, a band called Boombox, and you saw a picture of them from Instagram where they're uh, holding guns, they're ready to fight. Yeah. Or they are fighting. Yeah, there have been a number of those kind of photos that have popped up, and uh, I've actually been in touch with some of those people now. And I thought one of the more chilling things I, I heard was from, from the DJ and label owner, Badja Konikov, who put out a compilation on his indie label of like 20 Ukrainian DJs just to showcase, showcase them all. And I said, uh, well, where, where are they? Are you still in touch with all those? He said, well, they're all in combat, which is kind of a striking thing to hear. It's not something you're used to hearing musicians doing on the side, you know, being forced to do that. What, what is some of the, the best music you heard from these acts? Postman is, he is kind of an indie singer-songwriter. He's very influenced by that kind of, kind of American folk rock. And those records are pretty cool, as well as his band, which is called Fifth Dimension, is pretty good. Fosho, the band you mentioned earlier, they actually have Ethiopian roots. But they're in Ukraine, and that record's really good. I'm so extra, extra texture. That's my nature, the holy grail. The guy behind Postman is uh, Konstantin Pochtar. Yes. And here's a little bit of your conversation with him. He seems like a cool dude. Good taste in music. So for the first time, when I was 11, I heard the Beatles. And it was a song yesterday. You know, before... I've never heard anything like that before. And when I heard the song for the first time, I knew what I want to do in my life. I was listening to it like repeatedly, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of times. So then I bought, um, I mean, all the cassettes that existed at the time in Kiev uh, by the Beatles. And for two or three years, it was the only, the only band I was listening to. And then wow. I discovered okay. other stuff from the 60s, like okay. the Kings, the Birds, Okay. Uh, love Pink Floyd and uh, and all this stuff and so main, then I you know I, I dig deeper with all the, like this deep psychedelic shit and uh, so I grew up mainly on 60s stuff. Okay. It was 2002 or 2003. Do you remember what is dial-up internet? Did you have it in the United States? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so you had to call via phone. And, right. uh, so we founded a website. It was like totally pirates thing where it was possible to download songs. So me and my friend, my band member um, of Piatra Vimir too. So we like, we had a call and I said, okay, so I'm downloading this song by The Move, Flowers in the Rain, and this song by The King's Sunny Afternoon. And he said, okay, so I'm downloading this and that. So we had like, it, it took the whole night to download just the two songs. 
I think one of your most intense conversations was with DJ Korolova. Tell me a little bit about her. Yeah, her name is Olga Korolova. She's a, a, a DJ there and was in Kiev and just happened to be visiting her sister north of Kiev when the, uh, with her daughter when the fighting broke out. So her husband had to stay behind because if you're between a certain age in U- Ukraine and you're a male, you can't leave in case you have to be have to serve and fight. And so she and her sister and, and her daughter just you know jumped in a car and drove to Poland. And this was about a week ago. And uh, they, they went out, she was calling me from a hotel. She had no idea where like her friends were in Kiev and she hadn't been in touch with them. She was in this another country. You know, her daughter was jumping around in the background and, you know, seemed to be having fun, you know, being in a hotel room <laughs> and kids can. But Olga herself was just, you know, she, she was going to try to do a set that night, which she did, of playing Ukrainian DJ music as a tribute. But she was just, you know, m- several people I talked to who was who was getting very choked up talking about it and just like, just they were just kind of in shock. Like she's like you don't understand like this hap- like we always sense that this might happen but suddenly it happens and you have to like grab whatever you can and and get the hell out. I even don't know how I can write music now. I don't know because I don't have like a passion. I'm destroyed inside and I feel empty, really empty. I don't know how I can play tonight. I don't know how I can do that. <laughs> I would try, but I say every time to my management that I'm really, I'm like, I'm, I'm like zero now. And I think so. Everybody feeling like the same, but I need, we need to be, uh, uh, we, we need to be uh, together, all of us. And we need to uh, pray about the people. We need to pray about the children and we need to help them. All of us, we need to help. We need to ask and stop the war. We need to ask him about uh, speaking with each other, not fighting. And that was actually something the postman said, too, that I thought was really interesting, where he said that one of the reasons he feels that so many musicians sprang up since the revolution and there was such a such an uh, explosive scene is because they is that everyone always worried that Russia would come back. That was always in the back of their mind, like, you know, we should just produce what we can as as now as much and as fast as we can, because you know, you never know, this could all end, you know, Putin never said, I'm never coming back, you know, and so that always kind of hung over their heads. And it it pushed a lot of them to, you know, make as much music and try to make as many, you know, creative advances as they can. Yeah. And then finally, what were your big takeaways? One was just you know, learning more about this incredible music scene there, which could be obliterated. But also the idea that a, a, a musician would voluntarily just put their art aside to take up arms against a foreign invader is not something you come across a lot. Normally that sort of stuff is left to soldiers and not to creative types. And and the fact that these musicians, some of whom are, are in, in on training missions right now, really, really gets to the point that the whole country is riled up about this and, and willing to defend, you know, they're willing to defend their own country. And it's not, yeah, it's not just professional soldiers. <laughs> it's like every single person is doing their part in what they can to fight back. And that even includes DJs and guitar players and drummers. 
these people are, you know, having their homes blown up and but and their music is right there for us on Spotify. It's we're we're all so connected. It's you know, it's just a small world. Yeah, and the fact that we you're right. But, the fact that we can so readily hear a lot of this music is is a big plus. You can experience it pretty easily and appreciate what is being threatened. And that's our show for today. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week on Sirius XM's volume channel 106. And in the meantime, Rolling Stone Music Now is, of course, a podcast. Download us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you can. That is always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.